The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. So you choose death or life. You choose because you're going to reap the consequences of your words no matter what. So choose whether we live out the consequences of good or bad. And the idea I want to present to you from James 3, as we'll get into in a minute, is that the words we choose are the life we choose. Okay? The words we choose are the life we choose. So let's see what James has to say about this. Sorry, I've been having this niggly cough. Notice I said, I have been having, not I have. It's very silly, I know. Okay, James 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers. Do you know what's awesome about this? That actually means brothers. So I don't really need to worry too much on that one. <clears throat> because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Why did God give us a tongue? This is terrible. I don't know if any of you guys are paying attention to what I'm reading. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James here is making a very clear connection between our tongue and our body. Because he says, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, so that's our tongue, he's a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. And I think that it, it was, it was, he wanted to make it very clear, and so he gives us four analogies so that there will be zero confusion at the connection between our tongue and the rest of our life. Okay? So we're going to jump into these four analogies. The first analogy is a bit in the horse's mouth. So verse 3 says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. And I didn't know anything about bits. You guys might know about bits but I'm not a horsey person, so I didn't know. Um, so maybe you don't know either. You don't have to admit it. But um, the writer uses that small bit in the horse's mouth. See that little metal thing? I'm sure you all know what that is. I don't even need to point it out. The writer uses the small bit to bring uncomfortable pressure in the mouth, so much so that this little yoke can direct such a powerful animal. I mean, maybe you're just really familiar with the bit. But that little tiny piece of metal directs the horse. So like a bit in a horse's mouth, our words direct our lives. Does that make sense? You hear that correlation? 
Okay, the second analogy is about a rudder. Or take ships as an example, verse 4. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder. Wherever... Okay, stand up and do three more jumps. (coughs) This might be more active than you were anticipating. (coughs) Okay. Likewise, the tongue, like the rudder, is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. So this is the rudder, and I also had to look at the rudder because I didn't really know what it did. <coughs> okay, so here's the, si- here's the rudder. Okay, now look. This is the ship size, and this is the rudder size. Isn't that incredible? That little tiny piece directs that huge ship. The rudder directs the flow of water as it comes in, and the rudder is either pushed or pulled in the right angle to make the vessel go in the intended direction. And so I really felt like the flow of water and the strong winds can represent circumstances and trials that come into our lives and the things we are facing or the things that are coming at us. And so the question I want to ask you is, which angle or direction are your words taking you when the trials of life come? Because as strong winds come, it's our choice with our words which angle we were set our rudder to take us in which direction. Yes? Okay. What if, like I said before, we started actually letting our rudder, our words, direct our circumstances instead of our circumstances directing our words? Because heads up, they're already doing it, so... If we just make that change in our minds, things will go better for us. If you, oh yeah, okay, so like a small rudder on a large ship, our words direct our lives. And could it be that the words that we use actually affect the actions that are taking, they actually affect the trajectory of our life? So look again at the ship. It's a passenger ship. So who's on your ship? Who are your words directly influencing or impacting? They are highly affected by your rudder. My little five are highly affected by my rudder. They're highly affected by my words. My husband is highly affected by my words. So take note of who's on your ship and who your words are influencing because you're actually bringing direction to their lives as well, okay? So in these first two analogies with the horse bit and with the rudder, (laughs) he's basically saying, if you can control your tongue, you can control the trajectory of your life. (laughs) So for some people, that trajectory 
might be a complete 180. <coughs> and for some people, that trajectory might just shift slightly. But how many of you know, even if your trajectory, your direction, shifts just slightly over time, that's a huge difference? Do you know? So if we can make an adjustment in the words that we use, we can actually change drastically what our life looks like. <coughs> Verse 5 and 6 are our third analogy, and he's getting serious now. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. <coughs> I was thinking at this point of bringing out knives, and we could all just cut out our tongues. <coughs> but that's a little bit morbid <coughs> and highly unproductive. But I, I feel like he's, he's really... Painting a really, thank you. Is it hot? Nice. Yes. Okay. I feel like he's really painting a clear picture here of how terrible our tongue can be. So I have here a picture of, is the fire picture on there? No fire picture? Like a forest fire? Oh, man. It's picture of forest fire. If you need to close your eyes, go ahead. So we have uh, where we are, it's very dry and it can get very hot. Very opposite of here. So forest fires are a real issue where we come from. And in Northern California in 2018, there was a for forest fire, the largest one in California's history, <clears throat> that burned over 410,000 acres. <laughs> and let me tell you how it was started. So a ranch owner was trying to create, he was building some shade for his water tank outside. And while he was doing that, he stirred up a wasp's nest that was under the ground. And so these wasps all started swarming, obviously. So once they died down, he took a 24-inch concrete stake and hammered it into the ground about 10 to 12 inches. Well, one spark started that whole fire. So he tried, I mean, he tried everything. He tried water, he tried. But because of the dryness of the land and because of the heat, he couldn't stop it. So it brought so much devastation. I mean, obviously, it was the largest one in California's history. But it's all because of one spark. And how many times in our own lives have disasters happened because we just had to get our point across? We had to be right. And one little spark set off a forest fire in our relationships or in our families or in our workplace even. If you've probably seen that happen in your workplace, one little word could just set the whole culture differently. So like a spark sets a great forest on fire, our words can set the course of our life on fire, including our relationships, and do so much damage. I was speaking with a lady the other day, and she'd heard me talking about this. And she said, a um, uh, little background on her. She is dealing with this debilitating situation that's taking her voice away. So it's a strain, similar to what I'm going through right now. It's a strain for her to speak. 
You're not even going to be able to understand me. So it's a strain for her to speak. And she said, as you were, as you were sharing about that spark setting the forest on fire, she said, for the first time ever, I'm viewing this problem I'm having as a blessing. She said, because I have to think about everything that leaves my mouth because it's such a strain to speak. I have to think, is this going to be constructive? Is this going to tear somebody down? Is this fight worth having? Is this thing worth saying? She said, so the first time ever, I have gratitude. So she said, even if all of this terrible things have happened just to bring me to this point of gratitude, (laughs) that's okay. (laughs) So our final analogy, here we go. James compares taming the tongue to taming a wild beast. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. This, I feel like, doesn't give us any hope. No, he literally says, no man can tame the tongue, so we're all screwed. But I was reading about wild beast tamers, and I found out that once an animal, so imagine a lion or a tiger, once an animal trusts (coughs) and respects their trainer, the trainer can teach the animal to behave a certain way. So could we tame our tongue? Not according to James. (laughs) Thanks a lot, buddy. So who's our trainer? I love John 14, 26. Jesus says this, the Father will send the Holy Spirit in my name, and he will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. So what's the key? If we can trust and respect our trainer, he will teach us. And it's a beautiful element of the gospel. So just as a wild animal needs a trainer to be tamed, we need and require Holy Spirit's help to tame our tongue. Okay, verse 8. It's very grim. Verse 8 says, It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So I literally want to give up because our tongue is so bad. Like, he doesn't say anything good about it. It's just bad, bad, bad. <coughs> but the fact that he says it's a restless evil <coughs> signifies that it's, it requires continuous discipline and awareness. It's not going to stop. Isn't that unfortunate? It's not like one day we're going to have it mastered. Like, yes, I finally tamed my tongue. It says here, it's a restless evil. So that requires that we put guards on our confessions, that we pay attention to the words that are coming out of our mouth. I'm going to read Proverbs 18.21 again, and this is in the message version. It says here, words kill, words give life. They are either poison or fruit. You choose. Words kill, words give life. They are either poison or fruit. You choose. So um, 16 years ago, there was a small church called Portleash Family Worship Center. Had any of you guys ever heard of that church? That was, uh, I spent the summer here that year. It was my first summer in Ireland. And um, 
We were meeting at the Maltings. For any of you who don't know, that was this church. I think you all know that. But if there's any of you that are new, that was this church. That was its old name. And that was near when it started. It had been going for maybe a year. So we were meeting in this old derelict gym building upstairs in a room that had one wall full of mirrors, right? So we had to sit the chair. You know, it's tricky how you sit the chairs. Do you want the congregation to have to look at themselves the whole time? Or do you want the preacher to have to look at himself the whole time? Or do you wipe the whole thing and everyone just looks at their sides? So anyways, we were upstairs in this room. And I think the room sat, I was talking to Noel, I think it sat about 40 to 50 people. So it was a small space. And uh, I don't remember anybody ever asking me to speak. But somebody must have asked me to preach. So I had prepared, I was in Bible school. And I had prepared this message actually as part of my, uh, one of my classes in Bible school. And so I was excited to share it because it would have been my first time sharing it in front of people. And it was, a, it was about how we're vessels and God made all of us. Do you know that verse about he made some for noble uses and some for ignoble uses? And I had prepared this whole thing and I'd spent hours and hours on it. And I was finally, you know, I was so nervous. So I got up there. I delivered the message. And then, and I even had written a song to go with my message. So I played the song at the end on the piano. I had these different vessels that I had gotten as illustrations. I could put a lot of time and energy. And it was very vulnerable for me to share. Well, afterwards, a man got up and told me that what I had said was wrong that my whole message was incorrect, that I had misinterpreted the scripture. I was going to, I was in my fourth year of Bible college. I think that I interpreted it right, but maybe I didn't. My, my teacher thought it was right. Um, and so anyways, he just kind of went after me. And I don't even remember that confrontation, but what I remember is what it did in me. It actually, like Proverbs 18 says, it killed something in me. And I didn't speak in Ireland again or in this church again till right now. So it's, it's been 16 years. Um, and I don't even think that man knows what he said. He probably doesn't even remember it. But do you know who would use that? The enemy. And I think that he misconstrues our words a lot into the listener's ears to kill what God wants to live. Because God had spoken a call on me when I was 14 years old that I would speak. But the first time I got up to speak, what came after me? Words. It was words by a man that the enemy used to kill something in me. That's alive today, 16 years later. (laughs) Thanks, Noel. I know that it's a pity invitation. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) So the enemy wanted to rob my confidence in what God had called me to at age 14. And he wants to rob you of the same thing. And I think a lot of us, if we think about it for even just a minute, we can think back on words that others have spoken that have killed something in us or have caused us to stop trying, or stop striving, because 
we don't feel like we can or we're not good enough. So here's my question to you. I have a picture up here of an apple. When someone experiences the fruit of your lips, is it poison or life-giving? Do our lips yield the produce, the fresh produce of a Christ follower? What's it like when people come to the Life Church market? Are they getting fresh produce? Are they getting produce that tastes like a Christ follower? I think we need to be aware. And I imagine, like, wouldn't it be amazing if we could just taste our words before they left our mouth? And go, oh, that tastes terrible. I'm not going to speak those words. Wouldn't that be amazing? God, would you just do that for us today? Holy Spirit, allow us to taste our words before they leave our mouth. That would be amazing. So the words you choose are the life you choose. And that includes our relationship with one another because our words affect one another so greatly. So this last portion in verses 9 through 12, it says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. (laughs) Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James's main point is be consistent. Don't let both of these things be coming out of your mouth over and over and over because it doesn't make sense to anyone. It shouldn't make sense to us either. So I want to just define real quick praise and cursing because he says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men. So praise is blessing, to cause to prosper and make happy, to bestow blessing and praise. And cursing is to curse, to doom to express loathing, to invoke harm on something or someone. So he's saying, we bless God, and yet we curse humans who he made and are in his likeness, and that he super values. Not super value the store. He really values. Yet we do both of those, and that doesn't make any sense. So here's some examples. You might have said this, or I'm sure you've heard someone else say this, and you would never say these things. If they keep at it, they will lose their job. If they don't make changes, they're going to end up in jail or dead. My kid cannot get his act together. I hope that person who stole my diesel from my tank has a car that takes petrol. That's a legitimate example. I heard somebody say that once. (laughs) You'll poke an eye out. Don't climb up there or you will fall. The people running our government are idiots. I wish my teacher would get sick so we wouldn't have to take that test. If they don't get serious about parenting, their kids are going to turn out rotten. These are all curses. They're invoking harm on someone, and they're expressing loathing. And James is saying, don't do it. Be consistent with the words coming out of your mouth. We do it to ourselves, and we do it to others. And if you're questioning me, Romans 12, 14 says this, and I'm really sorry it says it, but here you go. Bless those who harass or trouble or persecute you. Bless 
and do not curse. Bless those who harass or trouble or persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Youch. But how? Here's how. It's really awesome. And it actually requires a relationship with God. You have to ask him his perspective on these people. And he'll give it to you. Be careful. He'll give it to you. And then you pray your best prayers over them. And it's hard. But that's what we're called to do. We're called not to live like the world. What's going to set us apart? What's going to make our produce fresher and taste better? It's these kind of things. So we're called to guard our confessions. And I love it that one of our pastors has told Ben, my husband, when you're thinking about saying something, keep it in and count to ten. He usually gets to like three. But the other thing is my mom always says when she sees my dad about to say something that she knows she's going to regret, he might not regret it, but if she's going to regret it, she says, Velcro it. Why? Because what comes out matters, and what comes out has power, okay? So imagine if everyone in this room started actually paying attention to our words, and we actually chose words that were life-giving instead of life-taking. Ben has been talking about our need to call people up instead of calling people out. And we really need to do it with our kids as well. My son was in the room listening to Ben as he preached that message, and that's the only note he took. That's the only thing he heard. Dad, you need to call me up, not call me out. He has to be more careful when our kids are starting to be in the room when we're speaking. So what is our takeaway as we exit this portion of James 3? Because it seems a bit grim. It seems a bit hopeless. But I love it because it's just a little bit hidden. So if we look at the first two analogy, there's, you know, with the horse and the ship, there's a small thing, so our tongue, the bit and the rudder, uh, directing a large thing, which would be ourselves or our lives. But there's one more element in both analogies. There's a horse rider and there's a boat pilot. And they're the one using the small item to bring direction. So what does this imply? Surrender. It implies staying surrendered and close to the Lord. When we stay in his word, Holy Spirit will help us with our words. Holy Spirit brings the direction of our tongue and our words. If we allow him to, if we give him the reins and we give him the controls. And so um, I just would like to close if Yannick would come play. Yeah. Yannick, would you come? Uh, I realize that probably not everybody in this room has surrendered their life to the Lord. And I also realize that those of us who have surrendered our lives to the Lord can often take back the reins. How many of you would say, yeah, I've done that. And so I, would you close your eyes with me? I, I, w- I would like to pray for you, and I would like to uh, just take a moment of surrender. And 
sometimes surrender can sound like a really weakling thing to do. And maybe some of you have actually never surrendered to anyone in your life ever. I want you to picture that as a young child, maybe age seven or eight, that you're given this gift of an airplane. And you're not given any instructions or any of the rules of flying, but you're so excited because you have your own airplane and all the possibilities that come with owning an airplane. And you begin to experiment with the airplane and you, you try to fly it and you crash it on a daily basis. And you find yourself sometimes really annoyed with this airplane, but still really excited about the possibilities of this airplane. And you might say, well, why don't you just get rid of the airplane? Just sell the airplane. But you see, we can't get rid of the airplane because the airplane represents our life. And we're given our life and we're, we're given this thing to manage, but we just keep crashing. And maybe at age 16 or 18 or maybe 25 or 32 or 46 or age 54 or 63 or age 75 or 86, at some point in your life, imagine if you met the manufacturer of that airplane. Would you not hand over the controls? Would you not say, show me how this thing works? I've been trying and I've been failing and I cannot figure this thing out. And the manufacturer says, I've been waiting all along for you to do this. I've been waiting all along for you to hand this over to me. Because I do have great expectations. I have great plans in mind. And I want to take you there on this airplane. And so as we invite the manufacturer, as we invite Holy Spirit to come and take those controls, he actually becomes our co-pilot the one who teaches us all things, how to use our tongue, how to live our life, how to make right choices. And he teaches us all along the way as we release that control and as we surrender because God is a good God. He will not make you surrender and he will not make you choose him. It's our opportunity to choose him and to choose surrender. Surrender.